0: You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. I want to start this morning talking about the danger of letting down your guard around a severe threat. Now, depending on how old you are, you might remember the Las Vegas performers Siegfried and Roy. Um, I brought a really flattering picture of them this morning. Um, So they were, if you don't know, illusionists who were best known for their work with white uh, tigers and lions. And for 13 years, these two worked with these wild animals at the Mirage in Las Vegas without incident. And truthfully, uh, from what I understand, they were pretty amazing conservationists as well, and so this picture is not great, but um, I think that they were good guys overall. But sadly, on October 3rd, 2003, you might remember this, but Roy Horn, which I'm not even sure which one that is, uh, made a critical mistake. When the then seven-year-old tiger, Manticore, wandered off his mark, Roy attempted to use his arm to guide this tiger back into place, rather than circling slowly around him as would have been the protocol. And as a result, it spooked the tiger, and Manticore bit his sleeve, swiped his leg, and pounced on top of him. He then proceeded to bite Roy's neck and to carry him off of the stage. And it sliced through one of his vertebrae. It severed an artery that actually resulted in him having a stroke uh, directly after the attack. And one onlooker said it took four men and a fire extinguisher to get this tiger off of this poor guy. Now here's why I tell you this story. I just thought it would be a really great way to start church, no I'm just kidding. These animals may have been highly trained but they were not domesticated. They were still very wild animals and exceedingly dangerous. And my point is all it took for Roy to be almost killed was forgetting that for just a split second and letting down his guard. And so this story serves as a tragic example of the danger of letting down your guard around a severe threat. And so here's the thing. This is the mistake that we're all prone to make when it comes to the threat present in the evil that still resides in each of our own hearts and the evil that is present in the world at large. Now, I am very much aware that uh, evil, the talk of evil to the majority of ears in our culture sounds almost archaic. Because we don't really uh, hold to culturally objective evil anymore. But it's important that we always check what is culturally normative with what God says is true. So I want you to listen this morning to what Romans 7 18 and 19 say about each of us. The Apostle Paul says, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil. That I do not want to do. So his point was that even the most righteous of us, and from everything we know about the Apostle Paul, he was a very righteous man, but even the most righteous of us still have evil lingering within us, what Paul refers to as our flesh, our old way. Now, furthermore, listen to Ephesians 6, verse 12. This is uh, also the Apostle Paul. Can I get that verse? There we go. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So his point is, there is a real spiritual enemy that is active in this world that is bent on our destruction. And despite all of this, more often than not, we live with our guard down, leaving ourselves open and vulnerable to the very real threat of this evil. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray this final petition of the Our Father prayer. And so today we're going to close this series with a prayer for spiritual protection, focusing our attention specifically on Matthew 6, 13. But just before we jump in one more time, I want to remind you of the overarching premise that we have learned, and that is this, that prayer is the path to relationship with our perfect Father. That is prayer's endgame. It isn't a means of manipulating God into doing what we think he should. It's a lifelong conversation through which we go deeper into relationship with him. And so let's start this morning, as we have every week, by praying this entire prayer one more time together. It's going to be up on the screen. Pray this with me. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this morning, we are going to close with verse 13, where Jesus teaches us to pray, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're going to bring the same three questions To this petition, as we have the others. So we start with this. What do these words say about God? And in short, they teach us that God is a protective Father who is committed to forming Christ in us. God is a protective Father committed to forming Christ in us. Now, this is an important thing for us to note. The Greek word that we translate here as temptation can actually be a bit misleading because it could lead us to believe that what we're praying is that God would not tempt us with evil. But it can't mean that because God doesn't tempt us with evil. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verse 13. It'll be up on the screen. James says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. So, in reality, this Greek word carries the general meaning of a test. Not specifically, it can mean a temptation, but in general, it just means a test. And what we can say is that God certainly tests his people. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is led by the Spirit, Matthew says, into the wilderness, specifically, quote, to be tested. Then in Genesis 22, verse 1, we read, after these things, God tested Abraham. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, we read that God allowed the people of Israel to wander in the wilderness to both humble them and specifically to test them. So God certainly tests his people. And so the question that we have to be clear on is why. Why does God do that? Why would he test his people? What is his motive? And it is not that he takes some sick joy in watching us struggle. God tests us to refine what lives within us. And so in fact, you know, the same Greek word that we have translated here as temptation or test is used of the process elsewhere of refining gold. Now you probably know this, but... Gold refining through fire, which I learned this week is called fire assaying, weird name, but that's just a free little detail for you. It's a very meticulous process that purifies the precious metal. So, first, the gold is melted at an extremely high temperature to separate the impurities, like other base metals and elements, and then this in- intense heat causes the impurities to oxidize and form a stony waste called a slag, which is then removed. And then that remaining gold is carefully poured into molds, resulting in blocks of higher purity. And it's the fire's unrelenting heat that ensures that only the resilient and the pure gold endures while the impurities are reduced to ashes. And this centuries-old technique exemplifies the transformative power of fire in extracting and refining one of the world's most coveted elements. And so here's the thing. God is committed to refining who you and I truly are. And because of evil, we're like unrefined gold. There are impurities fused to every part of us, and God tests us through trial in order to separate them out and to remove them from us. But the problem is, within every test from God is the temptation of the evil one. And so evil wants to take what God means to refine and instead use it to hinder our formation. He wants us to live from our flesh rather than surrendering to God's spirit. He wants to to twist the tests of God that he means to strengthen our faith and instead use them to destroy it. And so maybe a way to paraphrase this prayer would be this, Abba, due to my own weakness, please don't lead me into high-pressure trials. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. And that being said, we, we simply have to come to terms with the fact that God is more committed to forming Christ in us than he is in keeping us comfortable all of the time. Scripture says that he is our comfort but it nowhere says that we are promised to live in constant comfort. And so God is even willing to allow us to suffer in a temporary sense for the purpose of eternal sanctification. And so to embrace the way of Jesus is to embrace the many tests of God. God is a protective father who is committed to forming Christ in us. Now, Secondly, what do these words say about us? Well, they signal that our spiritual weakness makes us vulnerable to spiritual attack. Our spiritual weakness makes us vulnerable to spiritual attack. Now, here's how we can be sure of that. If we weren't spiritually weak, and if we weren't vulnerable spiritually to spiritual attack, then Jesus wouldn't need to tell us to pray for protection. And it's very important for us to acknowledge this but because when it comes to the problem of evil in us and in this world, N.T. Wright tells us that we are prone to one of three wrong answers. The first is denial, which is probably the most common within our own culture. It's become very common to just deny the reality of, Of evil. Everything seems to be a matter of perspective, of preference, and of personal choice. Less and less is there any sense of real objective good and evil. And while Christians believe that there is clear good and evil, many of us deny it functionally when we see no reason to pray for protection. Now, the second mistake is drowning. So, where denial sees no evil, drowning only sees evil. Evil is all that there is, so there's a demon around every corner, and we are without hope. But that drowning denies the victory of the cross and the presence of Christ's kingdom on this earth. Now the third common mistake, and this is specific typically to people of faith, is self-righteousness. So self-righteousness acknowledges the presence of evil, but it mistakenly believes that it is the answer to it. So I'm just going to be better than the evil. But because pride is the engine of self-righteousness, it poisons the human soul. And so instead, N.T. Wright says that Jesus' way is to recognize the reality and the power of evil, but to confront it with the reality and power of the kingdom announcement. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. Evil has been and is being defeated right now. Evil won't ultimately win because Jesus already has. And so we, as followers of Jesus, we grieve evil's existence. Where we are able, we can fight against it, and we seek the kingdom of God more and more. And so again, we pray, Lord, due to my own weakness, please don't lead me in the high-pressure trials. And if you do, please rescue me from the evil present within them. Our spiritual weakness makes us vulnerable to spiritual attack, which brings us to this final question. How do we more faithfully pray like this? And in short, we have to become aware, alert, and active. So let me break these down just for a second, these three responses to spiritual threat. The first one is we have to be aware of our own weakness. We have to embrace that reality. Rather than go the self-righteous route, we have to be aware of our own weakness. We need to embrace in the general sense, that we are spiritually weak, and as a result, we are susceptible to spiritual attack, which is what Paul is indicating in Romans chapter 7, when he's like, I want to do the good thing, but I just always seem to end up doing the wrong thing, which I don't think there's a place in scripture I resonate with more than that place. That's a tension that every, like there's scholars that believe that Paul's talking about Uh, in those verses, that that he's only describing something that happened prior to his relationship with God. As if after you become a Christian, you don't struggle with that tension anymore, which is bananas, just functionally bananas, which is a very technical theological term. But that's something that we all experience. And the truth is there is little that is more dangerous than naively believing that you're safe when you're not. So evil is kind of like the villain that never really dies in every scary movie. It's waiting for you to turn your back to let your guard down so that it can pounce again. And so we also do well to be students of our own weakness. So a great question for you to reflect on this this week would be, where am I personally weak? Maybe you're prone to want control in every situation in your life. Maybe you're enslaved to comfort. Maybe you're in a season where you just feel very weary Maybe you're isolated from community. We need to be aware of our own weaknesses. Now, secondly, we need to be alert to the evil one's ways. Alert to the evil one's ways. Now, it's worth pointing out that neither in Hebrew nor in Aramaic is there use of the evil one to denote Satan. So there's a very good case to make that what Jesus is really teaching us to pray here is that God would deliver us from evil in general rather than specifically the devil. But that being said, we do have a very real spiritual enemy and we do well to understand how he works. And so if we study the temptation of Adam and Eve in Genesis and then we study the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, we learn that the enemy specializes in sowing seeds of suspicion around who God is and what he's like. That's the first thing that the serpent did with Eve. It's the very first thing that the enemy does with Jesus in the wilderness is sow these seeds of suspicion around who God is and what he's like. Is he really good? Is he really in control? Is he really for you and with you? In addition, he tries to focus our attention on the desolation of this life so we won't see the goodness of God. So that negativity bias. As psychologists call it, that's a tool of the enemy to focus us on what is negative exclusively. And because what is negative tends to be acutely painful, it's easy for us to see it. But the goodness of God often takes much more work for us to identify. He also tempts us to try to force God's hand in some way or to take matters into our own hands. So we have to be alert to the evil one's ways. And then finally, we need to be active in seeking God's protection, which is why Jesus tells us to pray this. We need to seek God as our refuge in and our rescuer from evil. We do this through prayer, asking him to protect us like Jesus says here. You know, We also do this through repentance. Repentance is just returning to what God says is good. And so when we repent, we run back to him. We do this also by continually taking off our old self and putting on our new self, as Paul says, in Colossians 3, 9, and 10, which is essentially what obedience is. And so because of the very real spiritual threat in our lives, we must be aware of our own weaknesses, alert to the evil one's ways, and active in seeking his protection. And so here's our our big idea, and it's great news for us. God is a good father who tests us to refine what's within us while standing ready to rescue us from evil. God is a good Father who tests us to refine what's within us while standing ready to rescue us from evil. And so I want to close by inviting you this morning to imagine a make-believe scenario. I want to close by... asking you to imagine waking up tomorrow morning, and before you do anything else, so before you look at your phone, before coffee, before breakfast, before your workout, your show, whatever it is that you do when you first wake up, I want you to imagine that before you do anything else, you hear me outside knocking on your front door so that I can sit with you and have a quick chat, okay? You're probably thinking, no thanks, I'm not interested in that and, and again, it's make-believe, okay? So go. I have no interest in seeing anyone before their coffee either. So imagine you let me in. We sit down on your sofa and I look you dead in the eyes and I say to you, this day is filled with danger for you. There's a sickness in you that wants to poison everything in your life. And that same sickness that, that is in you is gonna be present everywhere you go and within everyone with which you interact. And on top of that, you have a very real enemy who wants to destroy your life today. So just imagine for a second how unnerving that conversation would be for you. Think about how differently you, upon hearing that, think about how differently you'd walk through the day my guess is that there would be a much higher degree of vigilance. You'd be on guard, sort of paying attention. You'd have an almost wartime mentality, and you would keep your guard up. Now, here's why I want you to imagine this scenario. What I just said to you is the subtext of Jesus' closing petition. He is saying to us, there is still evil inside of you, and there is evil in this world. There is a real evil, spiritual enemy who wants to destroy you and you need to be aware of that. You need to be alert to that. You need to actively seek my protection because you can't properly protect yourself. And while that evil that infects this world is such bad news, Jesus offers us very good news in the midst of it. That God is a good father who only ever tests us in order to refine us And he is standing ready to rescue us from evil. So as we close, let's seek his protection together this morning. Will you bow your your eyes, close your eyes, bow your heads, or do whatever you want. I'm going to pray, okay? Father, we thank you that you are our protector that you stand ready to rescue us. I thank you that you know all that's within us. You understand our weakness so much better than we do. And I thank you that you are present with us in the midst of all of it, and that you desire to rescue us when we need you, that you strengthen us when we are weak, that you protect us not only from what is outside of us but also what is within us, Lord, that more and more you are shaping us, you are forming us in the image of your son Jesus. And so, Lord, we, as much as we don't enjoy the tests that you allow in our lives. We thank you for what they accomplish. And we ask that you would use every test and every trial to refine us and to make us more and more like Jesus. And when those tests are beyond our ability, and when the enemy seeks to sow temptation that would hinder our formation, would you rescue us from that? We thank you that that is your desire. Help us to be aware and alert and committed to setting our face toward you as we walk with you.